Hi everyone, welcome to another Studwood South uh, podcast episode. Today I have a very special guest with me, David Lee. David is a lifelong learner with a passion for sharing knowledge and improving the lives of the people he works with. Coaching since 2010, his work as a life coach and personal trainer has allowed him to see firsthand how health is your wealth. He believes that most people's roadblocks in life can be corrected by adopting a physiology is psychology attitude. As a Libran, he believes in a balanced approach to life and peace of mind is his highest priority. David has spent over 30 years working in the advertising industry and found that the most rewarding part of his job was coaching and motivating his teams to achieve success. He has also co-authored the book, The Complete Health Series, and he runs a series of online courses that focus on goal setting, discovering your life purpose, self-reliance, as well as corporate and small business training around sales, negotiations, presentation skills, listening skills, and networking. David, welcome to this Thank episode. You. It is my pleasure to have you here today. Thank you very much, Ola. It's my privilege to, to be your guest. We were introduced by a mutual friend of ours, Ralph Anania, and the idea that Ralph spoke so very highly of you, I thought, wow, that's great because he's such a lovely bloke and I've never really met anyone is. through him. Yeah, I haven't met anyone through him who I haven't liked so uh, and respected. So he says you're doing great things and I loved the podcast you did with him. Uh, and I love the meditation you sent me recently, which I've been doing, which has changed my style of meditation as well. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. I didn't know that actually. Thank you, David. I really appreciate your kind words. David, in one of your blog posts, which is called an attitude of gratitude, you say that how we choose to interpret our situation and how we choose to respond to it defines who we are as a person. So my first question is, what were the three most defining moments or situations in your life? I'd say there's probably been four and, and the fourth has only occurred recently, but the first would have been around, I had just left home and I found a book on the train. So I was I used to catch the train, I grew up in the Blue Mountains and I'd, I'd catch a train down to Sydney every day and the guards would wake me up when the train terminated at Central. Somebody had left a book behind called The uh, Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. And up until that stage, I had just assumed that I was going to be a male boy and see what happened with life. I had no real plan or goals. And through that sort of reading of that book, I was brought up very, very strict. We were brought up in an environment <clears throat> excuse me, which was, you know, there's 10 kids in the family and, you know, we pretty much kept to ourselves. We were raised in a very strict world. We didn't go to parties. We didn't necessarily go to school excursions or play competitive sports or anything like that. And we we're also only socialised within our family circle to a degree. But within the train sort of catching situation, I was able to observe a lot because we only got around via train. We didn't have cars anything like that. We walked everywhere, so we're always healthy. But I think when I found that book, it changed my perspective on life that I had a pessimistic approach to life prior to that, victim mentality. Um, and I've since learned through that, that the difference between being a victim, you know, we're all victims at the moment, so to speak, but victims will sit there and stay there, you know, and, and martyrs will actually stay there until they die. They will die for the cause. But I think recognising what we're going through at the moment, of course, with COVID, we can then use the power of positive thinking and think optimistic around how we respond to a situation. So that was probably one of the most defining moments because I had left home and I was making a life for myself. I lived on my own, had to find my own way, had to learn how to socialise, uh, learn how to save money, all those things that... I hadn't really had instilled in me because a lot of the decisions I had been making were made for me. So even the subjects that I studied at school, my father, a great man, he was an accountant and a tax investigator, and he believed that accountancy was the best way to go, very solid job. And one of my brothers became an accountant. We all kind of studied it. And through the studying of the accountancy, I did very well in business communications and marketing. So that's the area that I went into, hence the advertising background. But it wasn't until I actually left home, started reading uh, different books, 
that I realized I wasn't stupid because I was failing in all the subjects my father had chosen for me because I wasn't any good at them and I wasn't interested in them. Um, and I never did my homework sort of thing because it was just boring and, and, and not what my life's passion was. So that one would have been probably the first defining moment. Um, second would have been around the time that uh, I nearly drowned. I was, uh, I was oh. on a boating, yeah, I was on a fishing, uh, not a fishing trip, I'd gone out fishing with a mate of mine the owner of the boat had told us don't go out past these green markers and we and just thought did. He, well we did yeah of course because he told us not to <laughs> i said to somebody the other day everywhere you go at the moment there are people crowding the beaches and the crowd i've never seen so many people outside and i thought well they the australian government has kind of cracked the code on how to get australians to do things you just tell them they can't <laughs> and because we're not allowed to go out is why everyone's going out and doing the things they can't and I was told at the time not to go past the green markers. And the fellow I was fishing with at the time said, well, you know why he told us not to go past the green markers? And I said, why? And he said, well, because that's where all the fish are and we're not catching anything. So we went out past the green markers without noticing the seas had changed on us. We got thrown out of the boat. We didn't even realise we drifted miles away from shore. And I wasn't a strong swimmer. Yeah, I wasn't a strong swimmer then. Um, and the fellow who I was in the boat with was a lifesaver, a DY lifesaving, or he'd, he'd worked with them, but he couldn't save me three miles out from, from land, and he said, I'll go after the boat. So off he went, and I was out there for what seemed like hours, but on three occasions I went... You were in the went, water for hours? I was in the water, yeah, yeah. So for, for a couple of hours, and it was winter, so it was an Easter holiday, and I had on at the time a big anorak boots and big jeans, so I took all that off because I was sinking. And so then I'm cold and I keep thinking, I, you know, it was a good thing that I saw mum and dad last weekend. I, you know, I've had a pretty good run of things and but I was only just getting started in my uh, advertising career and I just started making money and, you know, life was going my way. I knew I wasn't going to have a great life. And then every time I thought that I was going to drown, like I would go underwater and giving up, I just had this fighting instinct inside me. So I vomited a few times. But I made a lot of promises to God that day as well, as far as if you save me, you know, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll make these changes and I'll get on with life and I'll stop, you know, mucking around and wasting time. And then the boat, the fellow who was uh, had finally caught the boat was going around in circles and got back to us. And uh, long story short, the boat broke down a couple of times on the way up, way back because it had no petrol. But when I finally got back and started to think the next few days at work, wow, I could have died. And everything I was doing was like, wow, I, I might not be having this cup of tea right now because I'd be dead, that sort of thing. Mm. And it gave me a real presence or an awareness of presence in that I appreciated every single little thing I was doing because I could have been dead. And I just- Do you nourish this kind of attitude? I mean, I have from diff- your blog post, it seems that you do, that you really- Yeah, I have a very different perspective. Gratitude. Yeah, I live on the idea that you know, you could leave life right now. It's a very stoic sort of philosophy that, you know, I could die tomorrow. And if I did, would I be happy with the life that I've lived? None of us know when our number is up, so to speak. So the idea of living life to its fullest, not from a nihilistic or hedonistic perspective, but putting every effort in the body you've been given, with the mind you've been given, with the service opportunities you've been given to help people out. So that really changed my perspective on just getting on with life and making something of myself rather than just thinking I've got forever. And then I think the third would have been the birth of my daughters. Having unconditional love, I'd never really had a dog. People tell me that having a dog gives you unconditional love. I'd never really had a dog. I can say, yes, that's true. In my case, at least. Very good. I, I, so, but having children, not, not comparing children to dogs in any respect. No, no, of course not. But being responsible for another human being. And I have two daughters and they're only 13 months apart. So my second daughter's arrival was still another great sort of time of my life. And they're now 22 and 21 now, but my commitment to them and my investment in them as children really changed. It kind of bloked me down a bit as well, having having girls I didn't watch as much footy or play as much golf and and that sort of thing but no just being involved in their life really made a difference and being responsible for two people who I wanted to get a good role model of what a man should be it made me have to be a better man so to speak and just to really learn to really care for them as people 
And I'll cheat on the, the fourth thing I'd say, only because it only happened recently. Two, two months ago today, my father passed away in his sleep. And today. As an, yeah, yeah, so as an 85-year-old man, he was very robust, very strong. The day before he died, he'd walked up to the doctors and he'd got his blood pressure, which was 120 over 80. We'd watched the state of origin with him a couple of nights before and complete shock. So for me... Uh, I made a couple of promises to my father when I visited him in, in that bedroom on that fateful day that were along the lines of let's just get on with life. And I've, I've achieved a lot more in the last two months than I have in a long time. I mean, you and I first started talking about this podcast back in January of this year. And again, just kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. And I've got all the time in the world. And from that day, I've done an enormous amount of things that I had always wanted to do just because I had said to my father, I'd make him proud and I'd use the gifts and abilities and skills that he'd instilled in me as much as my father was a very hard taskmaster when we were younger. And I, I wrote on his 85th birthday, I had said to the scariest man of my youth and the fondest man of my adulthood. And mm, he really did. He was a bloke who was a big Irish man and you know, taught us how to fight and taught us how to be men and gentlemen. And the worst thing we'd do in the world was be mean or touch or hit one of our sisters or anything. That was the biggest punishment. So women were put up there as the, the highest level of the pedestal. How we treated our mother was very important to my father. But the idea, as I say, that such a strong man could just die in his sleep without any warning, you never know when your number is up. And 85 is still pretty good innings. And I'd like to think that when I get to 85, I have the same level of articulation, physicality, mindfulness, awareness and involvement as my father did with his 40 plus grandchildren and you know great grandchildren and, and his 10 children as well so it was a life-defining moment that is very very recent and I'm only coming when I say coming to terms with it I'm aware of what an impact it has had in a positive way I have to look on every cloud has a silver lining as they say and for me to look at that event uh, you know, now we've all had to rally around and care for my mother. It's just changed the perspective from a family idea, but also from my fulfilling my life's purpose and not, you know, everything, oh, I'll do that 5, 10, and everyone has their 5, 10, 15-year-old plan. Well, I've done my five-year plan in the last two months. <laughs> so it's quite, it's been a good thing. So, yeah. David, speaking of a life purpose, what is your life purpose? How do you feel? <laughs> My life purpose, I would say, is to help as many people as I possibly can with the message that I have. And my message is pretty much, I'm a big believer in mantras and poetry to remember things. And I even sing songs to myself that remind me of what I'm doing every day in my daily routine and things like that. And so I think just to, to be able to educate people, I say I'm a lifelong learner. And to the best way to learn is to teach. They say to teach is to learn twice. And as soon as I, I read every morning and I will read something of a morning and then someone will call me or I'll bump into somebody and they'll say, hey, you know, I'll say, how's it going? And they'll say, oh, this happened, that happened. And I'll go, oh, wow, just this morning I read in this, that and the other. And here's your solution. And it's just uncanny how often what I have read then translates to a lesson to somebody else later on that day Plus my friendship group, not everyone wants to be told what to do. And there are some people that are lifelong complainers. You know, I, I often say to people, okay, listen, are you asking me for my advice and my help or are you whinging? Because let me know, because I'm happy to hear you whinge, but we've already talked about this and you're just telling me what has happened to you again. You're living in that world of reactivity. I think the idea is you're talking, your um, whole philosophy is start with self. Yeah. And I have a saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. And a responsible person knows that they are responsible for how they respond to life. Reactive people don't respond to life. They blame. Oh, there it is. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. As a youngster, I was a pessimist and I just believed the worst was going to happen to me. And I sat back and waited. Oh, I bet you I don't get that. And I didn't. But I didn't really do anything to make sure that I did get it. I, I wrote in a recent blog that many years ago I was questioning the power of prayer. Prayer is part of my morning routine. And I was saying, you know, hey, God, you know, I've been praying this for a couple of years now. What's going on? 
And the answer that came back was, well, are you praying or are you wishing? What's that? What? So what are you doing about it? And then I remembered God helps those who help themselves. I made a few phone calls, did a few things. And within a couple of weeks, I had what I'd been praying for, but I was really wishing. And even goal setting, it's not, they're not wishes. And, you know, people go setting intentions around full moons. They're, they're not wishes, they're goals. They're like a blueprint of the way you want to live life. So my, my purpose has become helping people get out of their own way. I introduce them to the most important or interesting person they're ever going to meet in their lives, which is themselves. Because there are a lot of things people go, oh, I don't know what my purpose is. And it's like, well, where do you find most of your joy? Where do you spend most of your money? Where do you spend most of your time? I was spending a lot of my time reading self-help books, like lots and lots and lots of self-help books. Mm-hmm. I was spending a lot of my money and time on fitness equipment and gym memberships and, and things like that. And I studied life coaching and then became a personal trainer because I realized my pastime could become my passion. And if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And this is kind of working to a degree, but I'm not working. And when I present to 150 people on how to handle stress in the workplace and how to deal with COVID with all the things that I've learned and I preach what I practice, then somebody, like I got a, a payment came through this way. I thought, wow, I got paid for that. Like, you know, you kind of forget that you're doing this as much as it's a service. You know, Shakespeare says the scent of the rose remains on the hand of the giver. And I love hearing from people who are in Dubai right now because they followed their dreams and now they're running a company that they started and they're over there or they've, you know, started a a company in Dublin or they moved to London and, you know, everything they said they wanted. I've I've coached people where they've said, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this. Well, why aren't you? Oh, because of this. Okay, get rid of all those excuses. And only recently I keep seeing a, a, a lady I coached who's moved to London who bought the house she wanted to buy. She bought the horse. She studied event management. She's having beers with her father, which moved to Australia, lived here for five years and was unhappy for five years because everything she wanted was back home. And to see her buy the home, the house, the business, everything we had agreed on, because I can't give people their goals. Your goals are your own. It's like my father choosing what subjects I was going to study. I didn't learn them because I didn't choose them. Since I've chosen what I want to learn, that's why I'm able to retain it. Similarly, when you agree on your goals, all I do is ask questions that people aren't asking themselves. So that seems to be my life purpose in helping as many people as I possibly can get out of their own way with the COVID thing, that presentation, to be able to have 150 people come back and say, wow, man, that was fantastic. This is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And get all this positive, you know, affirmative response. You know, I'm yet to have somebody, I'm sure they're out there, maybe they're the ones that don't comment, to say, man, that was rubbish. What a waste of my time. I haven't had that yet. So that's kind of good. I, I touch wood sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, so that, that's that's how I'd answer that, I guess. So, David, what piece of advice would you give to someone who just feels lost at the moment with their life purpose? What is one thing they could do even today that maybe would give them more clarity? Would that be to see what they actually love doing? What would you suggest? I would say that every single one of us is born with unique traits and abilities. And Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then must become a habit. So if what you repeatedly do and you enjoy doing is something like people sit there and they sit at a desk and they say, I hate this job. And they kind of calculate how many years they've got to keep doing it until they retire. And then they wonder, you know, they're waiting for the ax to fall. Whereas when I say to people like that lady who's moved to London, what do you really, really, really want to be doing? She said, I always wanted to start my own events management company. And I said, so why aren't you? And she goes, oh, I just don't think I can. And we all have these self-limiting beliefs. And we have this little mini-me voice in our head that, you know, it's formulated from all the well-meaning people in our, in our youth. Some of the, our siblings call us names and, and things. I, I had a friend once and she always wore big sunglasses. And I just said to her, why do you always wear big sunglasses? She said, because my eyes are so far apart. Now, I worked with her, so I knew how far apart her eyes were. They were as far apart as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I said to her one day, where do you get that idea from? She said, my sister said, used to say it to me when I was little. And then one day I met her sister and I said, ah, you're the reason why so-and-so wears the googly glasses. And she goes, what? I said, you told her her eyes were too far apart. She said, oh, I don't remember that. And so what she said to be mean as a prank or, you know, this lady took really, really seriously. Yeah. So 
So for me, I think look back on the things that made you doubt yourself. Listen to the voice that tells you why you can't do what you want to do. You know, and, and there are questions I ask of people. I say, listen, if you had all the money and all the time, what would you really be doing? And then they tell me and I say, but why? Why would you do that? Frederick Nietzsche said, man can enjoy, and everything is man. I, I sometimes have to think of things because you want to say people rather than, but to remember the quote, I see it. I've got a photographic yeah. memory to that degree. But he did say, with a big enough why, you can endure almost any how. And so when people work out what their purpose is, you have to say, what is your why? So what do you really want to do and why do you want to do it? So the way I was able to work out my purpose, I really loved talking to people. I really loved seeing people change and benefit and be happy. And I knew why I wanted to do it. And the idea that I could see somebody like, oh, hey, and they go, yeah, you, you, we met at a function. It was an advertising function. It was late. But you said this, this, and this to me. And I think, wow. And you've now started an advertising agency and you're making all this money because of something I said. Now, it wasn't anything I would have said. It would have been questions that I would have asked. Because as I say, I, I know what I know, but everybody knows what they should be doing. They're just not asking themselves the right questions to do that. So I think my, my thing would be to say, what is your passion? What do you really, really love doing? And then is there a way you can monetize it? Now, you don't have to quit your job and do that. Start it as a side hustle. You know, I, I stayed in advertising for longer than, for probably 10 years longer than I wanted to because my coaching was my side hustle. My personal training, I was doing from five o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock, and then I'd go to work. I mean, I was the in-house personal trainer for Men's Fitness Magazine, so it kind of worked out well that I was transitioning those skills into that and those skills into here. And I think if you can kind of do that with the different skills in life and the different pillars of your life, then you're maximizing time and you're maximizing personal enjoyment and freedom. Thank you. That sounds very, very useful. And hopefully some of our listeners can do that even cool. today to ask yourself these questions. David, so you are an expert in the mind and the body. What would you say, how important is this relationship to take care of the body as well as the mind? I think we both believe that both of these things are extremely, extremely important and interrelated. But how would you explain it to someone who maybe is not convinced? I think the only way to, to explain it to somebody who's not convinced is to say, okay, listen, just start with something. If you're not looking after yourself, I mean... Start I with self. Yeah, start with self, 100%. And the, there was something, I think it was either Gandhi or Buddha said, that it would have been Gandhi, I guess, because Buddha wasn't necessarily the doyen of, of health from a picturesque perspective or a physical perspective, but he said, be kind to the mind. It's the one, be kind to the body. It's the one thing that ensures the mind awakens every day. And they say, your health is your wealth. My father used to always say, your health is your wealth. Health is your wealth. You can have all the money in the world, but if you're looking at it from a defibrillator or a dialysis machine, what good is it to you? And they say that people spend the first half of their life chasing their wealth. And then the second half of their life chasing back chasing their health. health. Mm. And I know many a wealthy person who says, well, I can't do this now because I, you know, the particularly people who've made their money through physical labor or then they've riddled their body with, with pain because they carried things the wrong way or they didn't get enough sleep. And for mine, I just know, I mean, there's, there's a song that I sing that goes around a poem around the best six doctors I know of, and no one can deny it, uh, sunshine, water, air and rest and exercise and diet. And if you break each of those down, they really are people who sit inside all day, they don't get vitamin D, they don't get a melatonin reaction from your the sun on their eyes or seeing their eyes. You need at least 30 mils of water for every kilo of body weight. So if you're 100 kilos and you drank three litres of water a day, because that'd be the 30 mils per kilo, you wouldn't be 100 kilos. Because people who drink three litres of water a day are actually up and about a little bit more. It flushes your kidneys. The water-soluble vitamins get moved around. So sunshine, water, air, getting a bit of fresh air, breath work. In meditation, your, your meditation starts off with me focusing on your breath. When you're aware of your breathing, you're aware of your parasympathetic system, and it relaxes you, it calms you. When people get scared, the first thing they do is they go... Yeah, it's the body, yeah, breathing in because the adrenaline is being sent from the brain to the to the to the heart and all that sort of thing. So, and, and then rest. People know they've got to get eight hours rest. People complain of insomnia, and 
They read about how to sleep on their phones just before they go to bed. They watch television. They do, everyone knows. The thing is, they say to know or not to do is really not to know. And so everyone knows what they need to do. They're just not doing it. My suggestion is do what you know. You know, do what you've learned. From an eight-hour sleep perspective, with COVID, you know, I used to get up at 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. With COVID, I don't have to. I've cut a couple of hours at least a day out of my commute. So for me, I just make sure I set my uh, timer rather than alarm, and I set it for eight hours, eight minutes, and eight seconds just for that triple eight lucky thing. And I set that, and then when I wake up, I, I wake up and it's eight hours sleep. So I'm very, very well rested. Uh, exercise is something that if you don't use it, you lose it. And, you know, and movement, they say emotion is energy in motion. And anybody I know that has a problem, once they go for a run or a walk for half an hour, that problem seems to work itself out. Now I say do that without headphones on so you can actually think. But the idea of not moving, and I say 80 seconds has been uh, determined to be the minimum exercise dosage. After 80 seconds, you could be doing air squats or push-ups or sit-ups or even walking. It takes 80 seconds for your calories to be pushed into your muscles rather than to be pushed into the fat storage system. So even if you started with 80 seconds, and when I recommend only people... 80 seconds. Only 80 seconds. Now, no one's going to do 80 seconds and stop because yeah. of how they feel. Immediately after you do 80 seconds of air squats, then you walk into the kitchen, you're going to consider what you're about to put into your body. So then that leads into the diet section, and we really are what we eat. We, if you look at as a species, we're all born. No one, there's no such thing as a fat baby, and there's no fat animals in the wild. In fact, animals in captivity, the animals you see in zoos and animal parks, are 30% fatter or heavier than animals in the wild. I remember the first time I saw a dingo, I went to the Northern Territory and I saw a dingo, and I thought, wow, why is it so tiny? It's because it's living as a wild animal would live. Whereas in the zoo, they're being fed three meals a day away off and they feed yeah. zoo animals. And they're not getting the exercise that they would out there and out and about. So I just think that physiology is psychology. How you carry yourself is how you feel. If I'm sitting here and I start to feel a bit, I have to stand up. You know, kind of, I've got to stand up. I put a box up here and I'll put the laptop and I'll stand up so that I'm moving throughout the day. But I also just know that the benefit and the beauty for, for humans is that you might decide at 50 years of age, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose this weight. It might have taken you 40 or 30 years to put that weight on. It won't take you 30 or 40 years to get it off. One of my brothers, I had a substantial financial bet with him, which I lost because he lost 30 kilos in four months. Oh, now the wow. bet, yeah, the money was the motivator. Like yeah, well, no, he did it all on his own. I gave him some workout programs and some diet suggestions. And there was the, the what's the word, the incentive of appearing within the pages of Men's Fitness Magazine, which he did. He was even on the cover. Now, not as the cover model, but in the cover, on the top cover was his, his uh, story. Amazing. And he did, he lost that weight because he had an incentive. And so I think the thing as well for me is when I had children, I had to look after me to be able to look after them. I say to people, the best thing I can do for you is look after me. The best thing you can do for me is to look after you. Mm. So the motivation that people have is what actually drives them if the motivation is strong enough. Like your promise to your father that now mm. you are going to like really take care of your life and you did more mm. in two months than in a few years. Would you mm. say that this motivation and connecting to your why is what can actually drive progress in people's lives. That is it. That is it. The other thing I say when people, because you are really the why is it now? Okay. Why did you want to lose 30 kilos? My brother, because he knew that he was actually on the highway to hell. Not he's actually a priest. So he's not going to hell in, in his mind's eye, <laughs> but the idea that he would be getting there earlier. And it's something I said to somebody, you know, like, uh, suicide is such a terrible thing and it's very, very prevalent in society these days. And yet some of us are kind of slowly doing that by just not looking after ourselves. We are poisoning our bodies with, now don't get me wrong, I'm not the doyen of, I, I live very abstemiously from Monday to Friday and yet, and then I will relax. I won't eat red meat through the week if I can avoid it and I don't drink alcohol through the week if I can avoid it. What I mean by that is if somebody invited me for a glass of 
for a drink, I'd have a glass of red wine with them. I'm, I don't want to be so, oh, no, I don't drink, or oh, no, I'm a vegan, you know, and, and, and that's all very well and good if you choose that lifestyle. But it starts with self, and unless the people you're with want that advice or want that, then don't throw it on them. But of a weekend, I'll have steak and a few red wines and I'll don't train as hard. I'll just go for walks rather than, and it's my kind of release. And when I talk about, you know, the liberal and balance side of things, it is in life is all about balance. You work smart, you play smart, you know, you spend, but you save. And, And it's that abundance mentality that I think if you can have and you connect that to your why, then you will do that. Now I train every day. My big why is I know how I feel if I don't. So I, Oh, you know, do I really feel like it? And I think, well, I don't want to feel. And there's a lot of, I say, be kind to your future self. And for me, there's a lot of, I know how I will feel if I don't. I know I sleep better when I exercise. I know I sleep better when I don't eat a great big dinner. I, I know I think smarter when I've actually trained. I know I, I feel stronger. I just, my clothes fit me better. I have a better sense self-confidence i think it was coco chanel who said when a man wears a good suit you notice the man when he wears a bad suit you notice the suit but i think a good suit is generally a tailor-made suit and it's very rare that an overweight man wears a tailor-made suit when you get a tailor-made suit all of my suits are tailor-made but for the reason and that's another kind of measurement tool if those suits don't fit me then i've got to train harder because they were made at my best level of fitness. So, yeah, I think that's that to me is why exercise and movement are all part of, of life. We were designed, let's go back to caveman times and, and the way we, you know, all of this that we've inherited through DNA and evolution started there. If we were, if we evolved from sedentary beings, we wouldn't be here today. So exercise and movement and being mindful of what thoughts you are feeding yourself or feeding your mind. And yeah, and the good way to do that is through journaling and and meditation. You know, my morning routine involves both. And so that's one of those things that it has me, it gives you a sense of awareness as well. And it's kind of like they say, if it's not measurable, it's not manageable. These Fitbits and things you see people having in heart rate monitors and the scales, I get on the scales every day. It's just another one of those things I do over morning. But that's to see that I'm measuring where my goals are and where I'm at with my life stage and lifestyle. I mean, life. people say, oh, at this life stage, I passed a, a vision personal training the other day. And whilst I'm a big proponent of the way they, they do things, they said a nine-week thing and you fill out the book and that's great and you're guaranteed to do it. But the ad said, train for your life stage. Whereas I think you should train for your lifestyle and you know, the same, I do the same exercises as a 53 year old man than I used to do as an 18 year old boy or 18 year old adult teenager, if you like, but I just do the same weights back then. I now just do 20 rather than the five I could do back then because I don't want to strain and stress my body, but I still train the same way. And the thing about exercise is scalable. If you want to lift heavier, then lift as heavy as you can lift. Just because you're not lifting what Arnold Schwarzenegger lifts doesn't mean you, you're not lifting what you should be lifting. And it all comes back to you. You start with self. And in that regard, what is your training for? It's for you. I have a barber. I haven't been seen for a while. The only thing for me with COVID is I've been able to get a haircut. But he said to me once, people come in and they give me photographs of Tom Cruise and they say, can you cut my hair like this? And I'm like, he said, well, I could. But you don't look like Tom Cruise. Your facial structure is completely different. So... It's going to look stupid on you. Similarly, people who want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he had a unique, there's ectomorphs, endomorphs, and mesomorphs. There's body types. He had a particular body type. You will never look like him if you weren't born with a similar sort of body. So you just got to work out who you are and be the best version of yourself and work to that and be happy with who that is. Never be complacent, but be happy with who it is you are being with all the gifts and abilities you've been given. Anyone knows what they are. Anyone knows when they're not doing them. Yeah. uh, I say to know and not to do. Sorry, I I often say to people, to know and not to do is really not to know. No matter what, if you don't do it, do you really know it? If I can write and I don't write, can I write? If I can paint but I don't paint, am I a painter? So Epictetus said, if you want to be a writer, write. If you want to be what you want to be, then do what you say you want to be to have what you want to have.
David, I feel that you also see a huge value in starting your day in a, let's say, right way with <clears throat> certain morning rituals that later during the day keep you going in the direction you want to go. How does your morning routine look like currently and what could you recommend for people who might be thinking that they want to change their mornings and what they do? My first thing is the, the first hour is the rudder of the day. If you get your morning right, you'll own the day. The idea of, you know, everyone's probably, TikTok at the moment has is, is made everybody kind of like a guru and, and people are seeing speeches from graduation things in America. And, you know, they say the first thing you should do is make your bed. And, you know, that's a given in my book. Oh, I don't know why anyone wouldn't make their bed because, you know, that's the first thing you do. But it is the first thing I do. I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I make my bed. I then come into the kitchen and I have a, a big glass of water with a, a juice of half a lemon and some Himalayan sea salt or rock salt rather. It's got 84 minerals in it. So I'm rehydrating. It's like a, a natural Barocca or a natural hydrolyte. The, we haven't drank any water for eight hours or I haven't. So I drink half a litre to a litre of water. I, have, I drink that through a metal straw because the lemon can be acidic on your, on your enamel of your teeth. So, and that's just another thing I'd learned. So then I'll have that and then I'll have an espresso coffee and then I will sit down and meditate for half an hour. Now by half an hour, the coffee's kicked in because everyone thinks, oh, I can't do anything till I have my morning coffee. Yeah. Well, your morning coffee doesn't actually have an effect on you till about half an hour. So it could be psychosomatic. And I love the smell of coffee instead of those people probably. But then once I've meditated, I then journal. So for me, people say, oh, I don't know how to meditate. You know, so I don't do it. Well, if you gave up on going to the gym because you didn't get muscles after three sessions, that is just as ludicrous as people who say they gave up on meditation, which is, the, you know, exercising the muscle of the brain or the mind. And in that half an hour, whatever thoughts, no one's saying be a woo-woo Zen master. They're saying be aware of just concentrating on your breath. You, you know how to teach a meditation course better than any of us. But the idea that every time your mind does wander, you bring it back. That's where I feel the benefits of meditation are. I know that they say that you build new neural pathways through meditation. Now, if you look at the Harbour Bridge here in Sydney and or the Burnley Bridge in Melbourne, as there, or even the, the Anzac Bridge, if they put more laneways on those bridges, at peak hour traffic, the traffic will just flow. Similarly with meditation, the more neural pathways you have, when stuff comes at you that's unexpected or you just don't get overwhelmed because you handle it better. People say, wow, you took that really, really well. It's like, and yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't react. I used to. When I was younger, I was the angriest young man running around the place. But learning that that didn't steal me, that wasn't going to get me to the wonderful future that I wanted to have. So things like how can I be calm? And so I've read all these things and I've done meditation courses. So that's the next thing. And then whatever comes up in meditation, that's when I journal. Now, I used to set a timer to journal. Now I just journal with two, four, two A4 pages. And I bought myself a nice fountain pen, so I write with cursive. So it's a bit of a ritual. Yeah. And then by this stage, I've actually have also poured myself a double shot of coffee by now. And then I will, at the end of my journaling, I'll then exercise. Mm -hmm. So that exercise could be a weight vest walk. I live quite close to a national park. So I'll walk through the national park. And that... That again is doing, I'm combining all of those things. So when I talk about mental, physical, spiritual, social, financial, and family, the more of those pillars you can combine. So mentally reading and then telling somebody I've combined that, meditating and then benefiting, walking with a, with a friend and socializing, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so I'll get some exercise in. I've got a sauna, so not everybody can kind of have a sauna, but I have a sauna after that. And then I have a cold shower. On the days that I don't have a sauna, I will still finish that shower with a minute cold. And that's just to really just wake myself up to myself, so to speak. And it's also me owning my mind. People go, oh, my mind tells me I should do this. Well, whose mind is it? It's yours. You tell your mind what to do. I've heard some really smart people say, oh, I can't get to sleep because my mind just tells me this and tells me that. So, well, tell your mind you want to go to sleep and go to sleep. You're the boss. And so things like having cold showers and putting yourself in situations where you're putting yourself under like you know walk for an extra 10 minutes lift 10 more reps i'll finish my workout and just before i go on the song i'll do another rep 
And it's just doing something better than I did before. Mm. And it's that constant and never-ending improvement that Tony Robbins talks about. And I think Ernest Hemingway said, it's not being better than your fellow man, it's being better than the man you were yesterday. So not being better than that other person. And the competition is the person in the mirror. The person you be, am I better than who I was yesterday? And the idea of stoicism, that I could leave life tomorrow, well, would I be happy with the life that I lived? And it really does change the way you respond to things. You know, I don't hold grudges. I've lost people along the way that other people I know have gone, oh, no, and they feel so bad because they hadn't spoken to that person for a while. So, well, I spoke to them just last week. I don't have to worry about, I'm worried about grief, not worrying about grieving for myself. And a lot of people grieve for their own loss of that they didn't repair that relationship. They say forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and recognising the prisoner was yourself. And that is so true for people who even road rage, just the bloke in front of you is fault for you being late. But you just started an argument with a stranger because he's in your way. There's no road rage on Sundays, funnily enough. At least not now in lockdown. (laughs) You'd like to have so. David, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about the body and the mind. And I feel that there's one more component that we mentioned a little bit today, but not that much, which is gratitude, which I feel helps both the body feel better and also the mind. And I know you have also a beautiful moving story about your dad and his diaries that you mm. saw after he died. Could you could you share this story with us? Yeah, it, it's funny. And the, and the reason I entitled that blog an attitude of gratitude rather than attitude of gratitude was that my father had been keeping diaries since 1998. Now, they weren't like a dear diary. I'm feeling a bit blue today. They were chronological and kind of timestamp. So it might say 7.20, David rang, or had lunch at, you know, Trevi in Borkham Hills and all the people that were there. And he had really kind of timestamped his life and had a collection of memories that he put in there. But quite often throughout it, it was like great and great and great. And even things like funerals, he would say the eulogy, great. Uh, the, The people aren't great. And he just had this attitude of gratitude. Everything was great. And even his 85th birthday speech, you know, I I do a future pacing exercise with people where I say to them, imagine yourself at your 85th birthday. How do you want to look? Do you want to be able to stand up on your own two feet, unassisted? You want to raise a glass, good glass of wine, have all those people there that you, you know, have accumulated throughout the year through friendships and through raising them. And do you want to give a good account of yourself? And my father did just that. And he stood up and at the end of it, he just said, great, you're all great. And I thought, there is that attitude of gratitude. He had that attitude. And I think the idea that he placed so much importance on those diaries and that memories. And someone asked me the other day what I thought the meaning of life was. And I said, I believe my personal opinion is that life is about meaning and memories. You create the memories through the meaning and the meaning through the memories. You never see a removalist truck behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. And my my youngest sister said on the day that my father died and we went upstairs where he had his office and and where he did his writing and reading. And and she said, you know what? They say it's easier for a rich man to pass through the, uh, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven. She said, dad really had no possessions. And when I looked around, I thought, well, he had a few presents that people had given him, golf clubs and, and books and things, but he really wasn't an ostentatious man. And But what I did think was that he did have possessions. They were his memories. They were his family. You know, he used to say to me when I was young, well, you've put a rocket through this house. And, you know, when I did something dumb or stupid or against his wishes, and the house was his home. The house was his castle, as they say. Mm-hmm. But that was where all of his possession was. The possession was his family. And so I say all of my father's memories, which we are now able to share in, what he would do is he would sit down every day and he'd go through, like he might open up today would be the 11th of August. He would open that up since 1998 and he would write on a post-it note what happened on that day. And then if you called to the house or you saw him and there was a lull in the conversation, he said 15 years ago you had that operation on your carpal tunnel and you think, Oh, 
well. That's, but it was also a very good indicator of how you said, wow, what, 15 years ago? Wow, that seems like yesterday. Yeah. And it's never that you never think, oh, I thought it was a lot longer. Time is very, very short. And so that's one thing that with that attitude of gratitude, my father was always saying life's very, very short. Life's very, very fast. And I think, wow, you're 85 and you're saying that. So, and it is. Yeah. Life is short. So it's kind of like, get on with it. You know, what are you waiting for? Because we never know when our number is up. And there's a saying that says, many a man goes to his grave with music still in his soul. Mm. So if you want to learn Spanish, learn Spanish. You can do it online. The beauty, they say the online industry is going to be worth $235 billion by 2025. You could learn how to do anything. YouTube, great. Get online and learn whatever it is you want to learn. And it's just about saying, do I want to learn it? Why do I want to learn it? And then do it. And be grateful just do it, for it. Oh, 100%. And be grateful for every step of the journey. Yeah. The, the idea when people, yeah, absolutely. And when people say to me, I can't sleep at night, I suggest that if every person as they're lying in bed of an evening thinks of three things that they're grateful for for that day. Now, they say in journaling, I'll write the three things you're grateful for. I'm grateful for my life. No, no, be specific and remember something that actually happened that day. And I'll think, well, I'm really, really grateful I got to see so-and-so. I'm really, really grateful I got to do this. Generally, I'm asleep before I've got to the third, <laughs> you know. And so you can't think of your worries when you're thinking of what you're happy for. Shakespeare said, nothing's either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And when you sit there and think how great the day was, you can't go, oh, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. You know, I, I, I set an alarm for three o'clock in the afternoon where I write out the things that will wake me up at three o'clock in the morning when I can't do anything about them. My alarm goes at three o'clock these days and it's like, nothing to worry about. Luckily for me. And when we focus on the blessings, life will give us even more things to be grateful for. That's what I think at least. And I think you share the belief. David, our last question, and we did mention it uh, a little bit today, but I would like to ask you to just say in one sentence, what does that mean to you to start with self? I think to start with self is to think to yourself, if it's to be, it's up to me. You know, we came into the world on our own. We're going to go out on our own. My father used to say to me, never rely on a, a wait for a, a rich man's shoes by the time you inherit them, you're told to walk. And there's another thing that says you never rely on a wealthy spouse or an inheritance because by the time you inherit them, or you, well, sorry, you never know when either one of them might run out on you. So for me, I just think starting with self and, and being the person who goes, okay, what do I need to do today to be the best version of myself? Then you will kind of naturally be that version. I mean, in living in the present moment of self and being self-aware You know, they say the unexamined life is not worth living and be aware of yourself. That is starting with self and being present. If all you do is focus on being the best version of yourself in this moment and you do, you're naturally going to have a great future and you're naturally going to leave and live a, a good past. So starting with self and being that best version of yourself is pretty much where I would say it starts and ends because no one is responsible for you but you no one owes you anything but you and only you can look after you we go through stages as a child we're dependent as an adult we're independent we're also interdependent so that interdependence comes from being the sort of person that people want to be around being the sort of person who serves and you know as i say to give give somebody is to kind of get back i find enormous pleasure in thinking okay How would I feel if this was me in this situation? Empathy is a gift. Compassion is a gift. And that, that to me is where starting with self gives you that real, as I say, if it's to be, it's up to me. And self-awareness means that you've thought before you've spoken and you've thought about other people besides yourself because you put yourself first from that perspective. My father used to say, again, whether he realized it or not is a good thing around the time that I was putting rockets through the house, he used to say, oh, there he is looking after number one, as long as number one's all right. And the reality of it is I am number one in the perspective of I have to look after myself before I'm any good to anyone else. They say it on the planes when the oxygen mask drops down, fix yourself before you fix the kids or anyone else. My children were like two and three sitting beside me on the plane when I first heard that. And I was like, what? Of course I'd help them. And then I thought, no, I'm no good to anybody. 
until I'm good for myself. And so, yeah, that to me is the whole thing. Look after number one. I even have a, a smoothie that I have post-workout, which I call my looking after number one smoothie. You know, in it, it's got banana, it's got egg whites, it's got oat milk, it's got wheat germ, hemp seed, chia seeds, all these things that are really great. And I'm looking after number one so I can be the best version of myself to serve others. Beautiful. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, Anna. Uh, and the last question, actually, now, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way? Is it your website? Is it LinkedIn? We are going to put um, some links below the video, so if you can share. Yeah, kind of all of the above. I mean, on my website, I've got a um, www.leeway.com.au. I call my business Leeway because Leeway means freedom. It's also David Lee. I used to say in the corporate world when they'd say, yeah, I do this and this. I'd say, can you give me a bit of leeway? And I'd hang up the phone and say, I want to do it the David Lee way. But the idea of that was have a bit of freedom. And through my website, you can book a free consultation that we can talk about your goals and see whether we want to work together. LinkedIn as well. Uh, but even the simple david at leeway.com.au is my email address. And I love, I got an email the other day from somebody saying, I got your email off your website. Um, I just have a few questions. What do you think? And I said, yeah, here you go. And I sent them my, my template on purpose. I mean, I've created a lot of coaching tools that are around. The one I've, I've recently created is the seven levers of self-mastery in leadership. So the idea of that is fill out this questionnaire and you get the answers, you know, so you know, we all would have done the census where there's a bunch of questions that serve somebody else. All of my questionnaires for discovering your life's purpose, learning how to listen to people, they're all your questions that you benefit from once you finish them. People say, oh, I bought my question, my answers along. I said, I don't need to see them. They were your answers. But if you've got any more questions, we can work with that. And people can subscribe and get the template from your website. Yes. Yes. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Thanks. David. Thanks, Ola. And to those who are listening, thank you so much for being here. Please subscribe and, of course, share this episode with others. Thank you. Thanks, Ola.